We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn there. As you are hopefully aware of by now, uh, and you may be at home listening, uh, we are going to be taking communion later this morning. Um, It'll be after the children's time, and uh, so if you're at home and didn't have those elements ready, I'd encourage you maybe take a minute to go get those things together. Um, So I've titled this message, The Knowledge of Jesus, and uh, I think because of the the simplicity of what we see Matthew record and what's going on in the life of Jesus and the disciples, this is a very important message, one that I think when we grab a a quick understanding of the, the truth of the text, it's extremely important. And so, even though it's just going to be a short couple of verses that we're going to be focusing on this morning, it's, they are vital to our understanding of the truth of Jesus in the gospel. And then we're going to lead right into the thoughts about communion. So, let's read Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned, that being Jesus, he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, though this is a very short, simple passage Lord, it is packed with amazing, important truths. And I pray today that you would set me and my thoughts, even though I'm going to be sharing them in one sense, I pray that you would set those aside uh, and that your spirit would use the truth of the text of Scripture to communicate to every one of our hearts and minds so that we are transformed by the hope of the gospel. Lord, today especially as we unpack this text, there's, there's so many just golden gems or or golden nuggets in this, uh, gems of truth. And so I pray, Lord, that your spirit would take those things and you would use them to shape us. And then, Lord, especially as we're preparing our hearts to take communion, that we would would reflect on the message that Christ has uh, in this passage and the importance of, of these truths so that we, as we take communion, we would do this rightly unto to you Lord, and your glory for your perfect plan of salvation that has been uh, carried out through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we, we pray that you bless this time in the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to focus on a couple things this morning, especially in the, the front half before we take a break for the children's time. The, there's a, a couple of important words that, as I was studying, I feel like we ought to, to take a moment and look at. The first of these is at the very beginning of verse 21, where, where Matthew is, in my estimation, he's coming back and obviously reflecting on the life of Jesus. And here, he's capturing that, that, that reflective idea. Okay, because he, he knows what's going to happen. And so this, the clarity of what he's saying here is essential because he's elevating the person of Christ. So he says, and this is, this is such a key, from that time, okay, that little phrase is really important because what it, it's an indicator is that the ministry scope 
of Jesus is about to shift one more time, okay? And we've talked about that, that through the, the entire time that we've been studying the gospel. But here, Matthew, reflecting back, really captures the understanding of from that time. So, so from here forward, there's this key that the ministry scope of Jesus is, is taking shape differently. Now, how is it taking shape primarily? I think first and foremost, it's happening that it's not going to be as public of a ministry any longer. Even though it is going to have public elements, the the focal point is going to be on Jesus' relationship with the 12 disciples, that he's going to be teaching and, and helping them understand the deep, intimate truths about what he is doing. Because ultimately, they're going to be the ones that are waiting on the day of Pentecost, to, as we know in Acts, and they're going to be taking the message of the gospel out. So that key focus is for them to make sure that they're equipped, prepared, uh, that they're, they understand deeply the truths of the gospel. Praise God that the air conditioner has now stopped. I don't feel like I have to yell. Just FYI, the air conditioner on this side runs really quietly. So if you're hot-natured like I am, it's probably still running, and you can feel the coolness on this side. If you're cold nature, it's probably better to sit on this side because the air will eventually cut off, and it'll get a little warmer. So Katie, if you want to move over there, feel free, sweetie. Okay, you have both husband and pastoral permission. (laughs) She didn't have to have my permission, by the way. Um, So Jesus is focusing in first and primarily uh, on that relationship with the disciples. Second, as we see Matthew reflecting, what does Matthew elevate about the, the issues that Jesus is about to experience and deal with is this transition is happening in his ministry. Did you, did you catch it? It's really simple, and it's, it's outlined right there in the text, or declared right there in the text. He says that Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So all of a sudden, Matthew's going, I get this. I, even though he's looking back, he gets what Jesus is doing. There's such a shift in ministry. It's about the suffering of Jesus. But there's a contrast that we're going to see in this. Because Matthew's reflecting. I don't think he gets it at first, okay, in the moment. Because guess what? We see Peter not getting it, okay? And so we're, we're going to explore that in, in just a minute. But, but that, for that, from that time on, that key phrase is that idea of shift. Now, there's another key word that I think we need to, to look at. And it's, it's in the text right here in verse uh, 21. It says, halfway through, it says, he must go to Jerusalem. That is a really interesting word. And, and you may not think much about it, um, but, but it's interesting because when you get into the Greek, that's actually the indicative verb in the sentence, which means this. That is the only, the, the, the verb that makes the most, uh, or has the most importance. It's the action verb. It, it's what's really the focus of this verse. He must do this. When, when we think about must in English, it's, it, even though it's, uh, it's called like, an, I was actually looking this up, it's actually an auxiliary verb. Has, does anybody remember auxiliary verbs from their grammar days? I don't. You do, Maya? Well, you're a language scholar. I mean, how, how many languages do you know? 30? Something like that? Three at least. I know that. Probably five or ten. She's so humble, she won't let us really know. Michael, how many does she really know? Just four. See? See? Uh-huh. 
So I'm not calling you a liar. You're humble. Okay. What's the fourth, Michael? Oh, just you dabble in it. No, you know more than dabbling. Gosh, Maya. Okay, that's, that's the idea. So, in, in, and that's English, okay? But in, in the Greek, it's not focused like that, okay? Thank you for getting off of you and back onto this. Um, so, in, in the English, it is an auxiliary verb. It's like it, it comes to help the other verbs. That's the idea. But here in the Greek, it is the verb. So, what I believe Matthew is indicating is from this time on, this is what has to happen. Nothing else matters. Now, now, put a pause on that for just a moment. Do we really recognize the must of the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Do we honestly always think about the necessity of what Jesus had to do? So, in the Greek here, what we have is, he must go. He must now, what, what are the modifying verbs? Well, this is what's so interesting, is the, the infinitives that modify must are go, okay? He, he's he's going to go, but that's because he must do this. He, he also is going to suffer many things. Those two verbs are active verbs, meaning Jesus is the one who will be doing those things. Okay, they're active infinitives, actually. They're, they're a verb form, but they're active. He's the one doing that. Now, listen to, to the, the next part. The other two infinitives are a passive. He's going to be killed, and he's going to be raised from the dead. All of those infinitives, the active and the passive, emphasize the must, the necessity of Christ's ministry. Now, now here's where I think... This really gets interesting to me because as we begin to think through what Peter deals with, and, and, and I'm going to try to keep aligned a little bit here in, in my thoughts, Peter struggles with these things. He, he doesn't rest easy that this is the must of what Jesus is about to do. He actually begins to operate in human wisdom. But as one writer said, and I love this, the must it was a thundering clap out of eternity of what Jesus had to experience. It, it wasn't this just little fleeting thing that he was doing. It, it was the divine plan of God coming to fruition, being enacted right there. It was essential. And so why, why do I think that's important? Because what is, how does Peter interpret all this? Did you catch this? And, and I dare say that we're not so arrogant as to think we could do this like, like Peter does. But I'd also say we're awfully naive if we don't think that we have the potential to be arrogant like Peter. Because what does Peter do? He gets so comfortable and so confident in his relationship with Jesus that look at verse 22. It says, and Peter took him aside and began to talk to him about these things. He began to whisper about these things. He began to question him. no. What, is, what does Peter do? He rebukes Jesus? What in the world is he thinking? And he says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. I, I think there's an interesting thing that Peter is, in one sense, wrestling with and the reason for his rebuke. 
And I think it is this. He'd just been watching Jesus do all of these incredible things. He'd been multiplying the fishes and the loaves. He'd been healing people. He's recognizing, maybe really recognizing strongly, the, the authority of Jesus. And he's like, no, Lord, you, you have all power. You have all authority. There's no way that you're going to be having to endure any of those things that, you, you, that supposedly must happen. You're, you're not going to suffer. You're, you're not going to be killed. You're not, you know, and if that doesn't happen, he's certainly not going to need to be raised from the dead because he's not going to suffer. He's not going to be killed. So, so Peter's dismissing all these things based on the authority of Jesus. But here's what I think Peter fails to, to recognize. I think Peter fails to recognize the humility of Jesus. And, and we sang this, this song earlier that Jesus is the lion and the lamb. What do what those two symbols emphasize to us about Jesus? The lion is the king of the jungle, the one who has authority. The lamb is the one who does what? Is that very meek, submissive animal that, that can't really defend itself. And Jesus, we know, is going to be what? He's going to be both the one who exercises his authority, but he's going to be also the one who has to be, according to Isaiah, the suffering servant, the one who would endure for our sake. Now, here's, here's the problem I think that ultimately Peter wrestles with, and I want us to be careful because I, I say this continually and frequently, we shouldn't be too critical of Peter because oftentimes we fall into the same traps that he falls into. Peter's, I think, I think he got ultimately a, a focus in on pride and an unwillingness to surrender to the will of God. He, he thought, no, Lord, this is it. I understand your authority. This has got to be your will. This has got to be the will of God the Father. And, and I'm overarching or I'm, I'm superseding your will by declaring that that's not going to happen. And it becomes a dangerous place for him to be. I, I was thinking about that, and, and this kind of statement came to mind. Do you, like Peter, find it easy to accept God's blessing or blessings, but not his testings? See, I think here, and, and we can flash forward, right, just a bit into the life of Peter. When Peter gets tested through the trial of Jesus, what's he do? He bails. I don't know him. He denies Christ. Why? Because there's an unwillingness to experience the testings that are required for us as followers of Christ. Folks, following Christ is not easy. And, and I think we live in a world where people want to say, oh yeah, being a Christian, following Christ, it's, it's just the greatest thing. Now it is. Don't get me wrong. But part of the other side of the coin is what? We will have to take up our cross we have to follow him. And so many people are looking, I think, like Peter to say, no, 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 we're not going to suffer those things because Christ will bless us. And they forget the struggles because this world, folks, is not our home. And because it is not our home, the emphases that this world places on things that, that appear to satisfy us are fleeting. They're short. They're, they're, they leave us wanting. But the, the problem is, too many times we focus on those. 
I think like Peter. Oh, Jesus can give me fish and bread whenever. I get that message. He can heal people. He can restore sight to the blind. He can do all of these things. He can deliver people from demonic oppression. Jesus is the authority. That's a blessing I can follow very easily. Lord, there's no way you're going to suffer. And it put him in a compromised position. We're going to look at what Jesus does in response in just a minute. So Rob, you ready to come forward and take a little time with our children Maya's going to come. All you boys and girls, you guys come up here, and Mr. Rob is going to be teaching you this morning, so you get your listening ears on. Find a square belly. You can do that right there. Perfect, sweetie. All right. All right, good morning, boys and girls. Glad to have y'all down here today and uh, just enjoying today. Got a beautiful day outside to play later on. And today we're going to be reading through Matthew 3, verses 1 through 6, and it's talking about John the Baptist. That was one of Jesus' friends. Uh, let me go ahead and read our verses, and then we can talk about it. So. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist leather belt today so do you Sawyer uh, and his food his food was locusts and wild honey that's a type of bug locusts mm, I don't know about that then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to see John the Baptist and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins now, John the Baptist, he had a special talent, and he was preaching to the, to the people of Judea and Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him. Do any of y'all have a special, special talent that you can do? What do you do? What's that? Contortion. What about you, Oliver? Do you have a special thing you can do? No? Anyone? I can wiggle my ears if you look really close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, now, I've got a couple of questions about what we've read. What did John the Baptist eat for food? What did he eat? Oh. Bugs and what else? And wild honey, that's right. Now, what did John the Baptist come to do? What was he doing in Jerusalem? Was he? He was preaching, that's right. <laughs> 
was there just a few people that went to see him, or was there a whole bunch of people, like a big crowd? A whole bunch. That's right, Oliver. Now, if you were living back then, how far do you think you would walk to go see this man, John the Baptist? Pretty far? Like 10 feet or 10 miles? A hundred. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Now, what did the people do when they saw John the Baptist? Do you remember what they did? Was he, they were confessing their sins to him. That's right. And so John the Baptist, he was preparing the way for Jesus. And why was John the Baptist special to God? <laughs> do you know Ellie? He was working hard to tell people about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he was following God's will. That's what God wanted him to do. So today we're going to pray and, uh, and then we'll have a sing and dance. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these little boys and girls and uh, for uh, all the special talents that you've given them. Some they don't know what it is. And uh, we know that you have a plan for each one of them and each one of us. God, we pray that you would... Uh, Work through us, and as we go about our day, to always be thinking of you and be grateful for what you have done for us. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Someone has been really, really excited here to share, and I have a little friend. And while we don't know yet, some of us, what is our special gift, we know that if we continue growing with God and we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit will help us understand it and find the special thing we can do for Jesus. But now that thing is get up on our feet because we're going to sing about the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is in our lives. And you, all you need to do is just to follow me, Oliver, you too, buddy. Look at me and we will praise God and talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're ready, Mr. Michael. And I say, walk by the 
Thank you, Rob and Maya and all you boys and girls. Y'all did a great job. Thanks, Kathy, for your help, too. So, we left our text thinking through Peter attempting to rebuke Jesus and the arrogance that he was displaying in the midst of that. And, um, hang on a second, I'm losing sight of some folks here. It's going to drive me crazy for a minute. There we go, Judd. I can see your smiling face. Um, so what, is, what does Jesus do? Let's, let's look at this in the text. In verse 23, the he hears Jesus. It says, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to, to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, as I was studying, there were several people who uh, I was reading that, that had different variations of interpretations about this idea of get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, wondering, was, was there an oppression on Satan's part of Peter? Uh, some people were, that, that I disagree with would said that he was actually being possessed um, I don't think that that's possible for a believer because the Holy Spirit indwells a believer. Uh, I think this is actually more of a metaphor that Jesus is using, um, in, in my understanding, uh, that, that it's just this extreme perspective that, that Jesus is giving them. And here's why I think that it's, it's that. And I think this is important for us to understand because it's a stern warning to us that as strongly as we can take the side of God... Remember how Peter's been? Oh, I've I've been out of the boat exercising faith. Even though he's struggled, he's been learning about the authority of Jesus. He's been obeying Jesus. He's been the one who just did what, as we learned a couple weeks ago in in the text, that he's confessed that Jesus is the Lord. And Jesus has said upon this rock, I'm going to build the church, that confession of Peter. So, So big wins, right? But it's this stern warning. As big as the wins are in our lives, just like that, we can also, also find ourselves unwittingly taking the side of the enemy. That, that's a sobering truth to me. Because it doesn't take much for sin, for a wrong perspective, or pride, or arrogance, or misunderstanding to put me in a position of, of opposition against Christ and His ways. And that, to me, is what Jesus is saying. Time out, Peter. We, together, need you to focus on the truth of the gospel, what I'm really here for. And and so Jesus is is ultimately saying to Peter, remember, the great purpose of, of the must of what I'm about to do is to suffer on your behalf to pay the penalty of sin. And, and as I was reading this text months ago and thinking about 
where we would be in, in the flow of our uh, Sundays and service and all these things, I, I looked and I was like, this is falling on the fifth Sunday when we're doing communion. And, and it made me realize that the truth of why we, one of the, the primary truths of why we do communion is to, to remind us of our need for Christ every day, that we need Him as the perfect divine gift for us to suffer in our place, that we, we ought not become so arrogant we think, oh, he, he, we, we just dismiss it. Because I think a lot of times we can say, oh, yeah, I'm so grateful for my salvation, but the truth is we don't live it out all the time. See, I think like Peter, we can often fall in this trap. We often want Christ on our own terms. Think about that statement for just a moment. We want Christ on our own terms. We think that we can demand certain things of Him without having to submit ourselves to God's plan and God's ways, and we become elevated in our own thinking and our own designs about life. But folks, that is not the way salvation works. When, when we think about Christ and the perfect plan of salvation, our responsibility has to be, first and foremost, to do what? Surrender to the will of God. And His perfect will in salvation comes through Christ's obedience, not any other manner of thinking or purpose or action. And so for Peter, for him to come back in and, and discover this rebuke from Christ and then to experience this correction, it's a shock, I think, to him. But I think it's the right kind of shock to put him back into an alignment where he trusts truly in what Christ has done. So what I want to do right now is I want us to turn our attention to the idea of communion and the celebration of this wonderful gift of Christ. And so as we think through communion, I want us to, to do a, a couple things. One, I want us to remember and reflect on the perfect nature of, Christ, of, of our Heavenly Father's plan to be worked out in Christ. That He is the only one who could pay the penalty for our sins rightly. He's the only one that could stand in our stead. He's the only one who rightly gave Himself for us that we might have life. And though we may have a lot of thoughts about it, ultimately it, the, the right approach is through surrender to the will of God. As I was preparing to, for communion, I'm going to read the scripture here in a minute, but I, I uh, focused on, I, I come back to this uh, book, this Valley of Vision. It's a collection of, of Puritan prayers. And I want us to pray this together. Okay, and I know I'm reading it, and, uh, but I, I think these are great thoughts for us, and I, I hope it will help our hearts prepare for the celebration of communion. So I want to ask you to bow your heads and listen to this. Our Father, enlarge our hearts, warm our affections, open our lips, supply words that proclaim love is brighter, lusters at Calvary. Their grace removes our burdens and heaps them on your Son, made a transgressor, a curse, and sin for us. There the sword of your justice smote Jesus the man, your fellow, 
There your infinite attributes were magnified. An infinite atonement was made. There at Calvary, infinite punishment was due. An infinite punishment was endured. Christ was all anguish that we as believers might be all joy. Cast off that we might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy that we might be welcomed as a friend. Christ surrendered to hell's worst that we might attain heaven's best. He was stripped that we might be clothed. He was wounded that we might be healed. He was made thirsty that we might drink. He was tormented that we might be comforted. He was made a shame that we might inherit glory. He entered darkness that we might have eternal light. Our Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from our eyes. He groaned that we might have endless song. He endured all pain that we might have unfading health. He bore a thorny crown that we might have a glorious diadem. He bowed his head that we might uplift ours. He experienced reproach that we might receive welcome. He closed his eyes in death that we might gaze on unclouded brightness. He expired that we might forever live. O Father, who spared not your only Son, that you might spare us all this transfer, your love designed and accomplished. Help us to adore you by lips and life. Oh, that our every breath might be ecstatic praise, our every step buoyant with delight as we see our enemies crushed, Satan baffled, defeated, destroyed, sin buried in the ocean of reconciling blood, hell's gates closed, heaven's portal open. Go forth, O conquering God, and show us the cross, mighty to subdue, comfort, and save. Father, we thank you for that prayer that was penned centuries ago, but how it captures all of the dichotomies that we experience by faith in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the perfect plan that you enacted through Jesus. Lord, this morning as we turn our attention to these elements that represent the body of of Christ broken for us, also the the body uh, uh, that sustains us and provides us all of those blessings that we just heard about in that prayer. Lord, may we remember and glorify Christ. Lord, as we take the cup, Lord, help us to remember that it was a great sacrifice that Jesus made, that he had to go to Jerusalem, that he had to suffer, that he had to be killed, and that yet it was promised and fulfilled that he would rise on the third day, conquering sin, death, hell in the grave, Lord, that we might have life and have it abundantly. So, Father, uh, as we do this, we pray that you would be blessed and Christ would be honored. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we read in 1 Corinthians 11, and I want to make one comment real quick before I get into the Scripture. I just, the Lord just impressed me to do this. 
we have what is called open communion here in our church. Okay, what that means is if you are a follower of Christ, you don't have to be a member of our church to partake of communion with, with us. We simply want uh, every believer to be able to celebrate this together. If you're not a believer, we, we just ask this, that you would honor that, that our relationship with the Lord, uh, that you'd be truthful uh, to yourself, a person of integrity, and not take these elements. Uh, just It's an opportunity for you to reflect and say, what's the significance of these things? How do I respond rightly to Christ? Okay, so uh, with that said, let me read this scripture and what Paul instructs. He's writing to the church that had actually been struggling with a lot of things. But in this, he gives these instructions. And he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You have a cup with elements. I would encourage you to take the bread, and I'm going to ask us to do it this way. I want you to pause in your own heart and mind before you take the element of bread that represents the body of Christ, that body that suffered. But also, I think as we're coming out of these texts in Matthew that remind us that Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one who multipli multiplied the, the means for, for people to be fed. Jesus is our bread of life. He is the one who does bless us. He is the one who provides every spiritual need for us. He is the Savior who does not hold, withhold good things from His people. And even today, He is the mediator sitting at the right hand of our Heavenly Father, mediating on our behalf. We have so many promises and blessings because of Christ. Will you take just a moment and express your own personal thanks for your salvation before you take this element of the bread? And I'm, I'm going to say thanks in just a minute before we take it together. Heavenly Father, we come before you to say thanks. Thanks for the perfect gift of Jesus Christ, your eternal Son, the one who came in the flesh, was obedient even to the point of death. Lord, we know that that, that was a moment of anguish for him. Lord, as we think through the tears that he shed, the blood that poured out of his pores, in the Garden of Gethsemane because of the anxiety and the weightiness of His sacrifice that was about to be paid in full. Lord, we recognize that He is perfect without sin. Jesus, we say thank You. We say thank You for enduring the temptations and the trials. We, we say thank You for suffering and being broken on our behalf, for becoming a curse for us bearing our guilt, bearing our shame. We say thank you for sending your Spirit to indwell us, to bear fruit in us, to be a comfort to us. 
Lord, your work in us is not done. And as we do this uh, communion, taking this Lord's Supper on a regular basis, we are also reminded that you are not finished with us. So, Lord, thank you for your patience and endurance and long-suffering with us. We know that you are a, a Savior who is building your character in us. So, Lord, this morning, as we take this element, my list of things, as long as it might feel, is really still short. And I thank you that you've heard the prayers of your saints that have gathered, gathered in this room, and you've heard their thankfulness for the gift of Christ. So, Lord, as we take this element, the bread, we do this in remembrance of Jesus and his perfect sacrifice. You can take the element. That night in the upper room, Jesus took the cup, and Paul records it in the same way. He also took the cup after the supper, and he said, this cup, I love this statement, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. That idea of covenant, the new covenant, this cup, that which is going to be poured out, the cup it represents the, the, the uh, suffering that, that Christ would endure. That covenant is a permanent relationship that we now have with Christ. It, it, it's a beautiful picture of, of how things have been, because in the Old Testament it talked about cutting a covenant, that, that Christ himself was the one sacrificing during that suffering, his blood being shed so that we might enter into a right relationship for eternity with Christ. What a promise. So before you take the cup, I want you to think through, just for a moment, this message. And I want you to think about your own likeness, to, uh, potentially, to Peter, where you've wanted to avoid suffering, like I think Peter wanted to do. Maybe there's points in your life where the Lord has been calling you to some places of obedience and you're not there yet. I want to encourage you, take this moment to reflect and commit to an obedient life to say, Lord, what you have endured for me, I want to return into, uh, return to you in a worshipful obedience. And this is going to be a symbol of that today. That because he suffered and endured for you, you will be faithful in endurance to him. So let's take a minute and pray, and then I'll close us with prayer, and we'll take this element. Father, this has come forth in prayer through the morning so many times already, but we thank you for the obedience of Christ. Lord, let us be people that surrender rightly. Lord, as, you're, as we were taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. That was perfectly modeled by Christ. So we thank you for that submission, that surrender, and that obedience. 
Lord, let that uh, be a reminder to us of our own call to surrender and obey. So, Lord, as we take this cup this morning, we say thank you. We, we thank you for Christ's perfect sacrifice, for him enduring the cross and the intense suffering. We thank you that through it, we have redemption. Because we know that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And, and because of the forgiveness of sins, we are redeemed and our relationship with you is restored in that covenant is new. So, Father, we do this. Taking this element, we do in remembrance of Jesus and in thankfulness for his perfect sacrifice. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, take the cup and drink. I want to have a word of prayer, and then I want to invite the Perry Myers and his children, Katie, to come up here. Michael, you can begin to make your way up here. So let's, let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we are so grateful for the time that we have to gather as a body of believers, Lord, a local church whom you've called to serve together under the name and the banner of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for what you are doing in our midst. Lord, as we continue to, to move and progress and help as a church body, Lord, as we continue to serve, Lord, I think about the plans that have been laid out about children's ministry. There's so many elements that are happening in our church life right now. And Lord, I do pray especially for those who are out of town right now with this holiday weekend. We pray that you would bless their time away, keep them safe as they travel. Father, um, as we now... Uh, turned to celebrate uh, Perry and his family and the, the ministry days of Perry here at the Grove. Lord, I, I pray that, that we would honor them well, that we would um, just uh, communicate, Lord, how much they have meant to us, and Lord, we would bless them as they proceed in, in obedience to your uh, call upon their lives. So, Father, uh, as they come forward, uh, we, we just pray that, again, this time would be good for them and that the reception will be a wonderful celebration in Jesus' name. Amen.